It is so good to be back with you. I, uh, I'm very excited for our time together. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about God's Word, about Revelation. Uh, author John Walton, he's a longtime pastor, commentator, theologian. Here's something that he writes that struck a chord with me. I wonder if it will with you as well. He said that hope, hope is a commodity in short supply in a world without revelation. In the ancient world, there were few atheists. Their primitive understanding of the natural world allowed no option such as naturalism to fill the gaps left if deity were eliminated from the picture. Everything was attributed to the favor or anger of the gods. And with no revelation... There was no way to know what pleased and what angered them. And so I want to read to you a well-known Assyrian prayer entitled, A Prayer to Every God. The worshiper is seeking to appease a deity from his anger over an offense that the worshiper has committed, and there are only two problems. Number one, the worshiper doesn't know which God is angry, and he doesn't know of anything he's done wrong. He therefore addresses each confession he makes to, quote, The God I know or do not know, the goddess I know or do not know. And he's ready to confess ignorantly eating forbidden food or invading sacred space, anything to appease. His frustration overwhelms the reader with sympathy as he expresses hopelessness. Let me read this to you. This is the prayer. Although I am constantly looking for help, no one takes me by the hand. When I weep, They do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. I am troubled. I am overwhelmed. I cannot see. Man knows nothing. Mankind, everyone that exists, what does he know? Whether he is committing sin or doing good, he does not even know. Y'all, this is the nightmare of a world and those who live in it without revelation. But, oh, the joy, the joy it is that God has revealed himself to us, the one true creator, sustainer, maker of heaven and earth, has revealed himself, his character, his nature, his heart, his plans. He's revealed it all. We do not live in a world. This is really good news where we have to speculate, where we have to wonder, where we have to come up with our own definitions of things and our own answers to life's questions. They have all been graciously, generously revealed to us from heaven. This is a world with revelation. And how sad that we would ever take this for granted. How sad that that this would ever become commonplace to us, that it would, as it did my freshman year of college, Never get opened, sit on a shelf, collect dust, or that we would view it just as pages with words and not a person speaking to us who loves us and is invested in us. So what I want to do this morning is I want you to open your Bible, if you have it, or your device, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119.
And for the next 90 minutes or so, we're going to, I'm just kidding. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> Stephanie's like, dude, my knees, my knees. I can't, I just can't stand. Oh, man. Okay. Psalm 119. You will not find a better chapter in all of Scripture that describes to us the worth, the value of God's Word. By the way, Stephanie, do you want a chair or a stool? I'm the one sitting right now. You want to sit down? Let's get you something. Is that helpful? Okay, cool. Come on, Stephanie. Come on, Stephanie. All right, so are you open to Psalm 119? Psalms are in the middle of your Bible. Uh, If you need to use the table of contents, no shame. And you're looking for the 119th chapter. Uh, This has a measly 176 verses in it. Um, We're going to look at every one of them this morning. I'm just kidding. Uh, Psalm 119, it includes eight, no less than eight different terms or synonyms that refer to Scripture. Uh, Only four verses, only four out of 176 verses don't include one of these terms or synonyms. Laws, statutes, ways, precepts, decrees, commands, words, promises. So what you see in Psalm 119 is just a picture of the blessing of every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through it together, and I, I, we're going to have a Bible study where all we do is the first part of a good Bible study. We're just going to make simple observations along the way. And here's what Jeremiah 15, 16 says. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's armies. So Psalm 119, let's start in verse 1 together. Uh, I'm literally just going to take us through, and I want you to just follow along with me. Blessed. Is that the first word? Psalm 119, chapter 1, or verse, verse 1. Do you know what blessed means? Happy. Blessed means happy in the original language. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, I'm just going to name a verse, point something out in it, make a comment. Name a verse, point something out, make a comment. And we're going to walk through this whole thing. Okay? Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The word of God guards us. It's a guardian to us. It protects us. Verse 12. Blessed or happy are you, O Lord. Happy are you, O Lord. Do you see that? Happy are you, O God. You're the blessed God. Teach me your statutes. Verse 18. 
Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The word of God is wonderful. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The word of God is wise counsel. You need a counselor? You need someone to give you answers, someone to steer you in the right direction, someone to help you make the right decision, someone to help you run away from the thing that's not going to be good for your life. You need a counselor? The word of God is a wise counselor. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. The word of God is life-giving. Verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The word of God strengthens me. Verse 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. The word of God exposes lies. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. The word of God gives understanding. That's who the spirit of God is. He leads us into all truth. A person possesses the spirit of God by faith in Jesus. The spirit of God gives understanding to us makes it so that when we read the Word of God, when we open up our Bible and we're reading, it's, it's not just confusing words on a page. There's a teacher present, capital T, teacher. And he gives us understanding. 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. The Word of God is delightful. It's delightful. 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The Word of God is worthwhile. It's worth your time. It's worth your diligence. It's worth your listening ear. It's worth more than a lot of other things in your life. It's worthwhile. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promises give me life. The word of God is comforting. Verse 57. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. The word of God is filling. It's satisfying. It is the thing we need. Verse 63, I am, or excuse me, 62. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. The word of God shows us what is right. We live in a world and a culture where nothing is new under the sun. Ever since Genesis 3, and the fall happened. Man and woman decided to rebel against God, said, I'm going to be a better ruler, a better God of my life than God can be. I'm more trustworthy than God is. Ever since then, an understanding of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil has been confused. The word of God shows us what is right, what is good. Verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge. I wrote next to this in my Bible, the word of God keeps me from acting a fool. Teach me good judgment. Give me knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 68. Wow. You have your Bible open and a pen. Would you please circle verse 68? You are good and do good. You are good and do good. The word of God is good for me in the deepest sense of the word good. Verse 72, 
The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The word of the Lord is precious. It's precious. So valuable. Jump all the way to verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Let me just say this again. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. I heard an old preacher say one time, um, if it's new, it ain't true. The word of God has been fixed in eternity, from eternity past to eternity future. It is secure. It's secure. It is my security. It's unchanging, which represents its author. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. The word of God sustains. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It sustains us. Just whatever proceeds from God's mouth, it is enough for us. It sustains us. Verse 105, your word, this will be familiar to many of you, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God guides me in darkness. Shows me where to go. Verse 111, love this. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. The word of God is joyful. It's joyful. We keep going. By the way, isn't this an awesome chapter of your Bible? (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) We're not even doing anything special. We're just looking and making observations together. Um, Verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. Listen to this, students. It imparts understanding to the simple. The word of God is understandable. God has not made some Gnostic religion where we have to do deep, deep dives to try to figure out what is the unknown meaning of this. It's understandable to the simple. A child can have faith in Jesus. A child can understand the basics of the word of God. How awesome is that, that God has made himself and availed himself so understandably to us. All the way to verse 151. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Do you need a friend who is right by your side and is going to tell you the truth? Yes. The word of God is personal. It's near to you. God knows you. Hebrews, it tells us that the word of God pierces the heart. It discerns the intentions of the heart. No one knows you better than God does. No one can be a better, more honest friend than God can be. I think it's a, maybe a proverb that says that a bruise from a brother is better than kisses from an enemy. You've had somebody speak hard truth into your life, and it's been for your good, amen? You've needed to hear it. Uh, it's not been easy to hear. Every part of like your defensive mechanisms wants to come and be your, your own attorney, right, and come to your own defense. But if you would just humble yourself and listen, you have a dear friend in God who wants to tell you the truth. He's near to you. He knows you. Listen. We move on. We're getting close. Verse 162. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. 
been planning on saying that. Do you ever open this up and think of it like that? I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. The word of God is a treasure. It's a treasure. Think of Matthew chapter 13. Man who finally understands Jesus is uh, the kingdom of God is like a, a man who he finds treasure in a field and so he buries it and he goes and he sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. <laughs> well, he finds a treasure, he gives up everything else so that he might hold that treasure and have that treasure. The word of God is a treasure. Verse 176, the last verse of Psalm 119. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The word of God brings us back. The word of God wakes us up. You know God's heart and his character. You know that there is no such thing as distance from him. Right, you've heard the, the saying or the illustration of a person who's running and running and sprinting far away from God. God pursues. He's the hound of heaven. Right? He's, he's, he's hunting in love. And however far and distant we might feel from him, if we would just turn around, he's right there. He's right there. The word of God brings us back, wakes us up. George Mueller was a Christian evangelist who established an orphanage. Anyone heard of George Mueller before? One, two, three. Okay, good, good. Um, he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. He was well known for providing an education to poor children that were under his care to the point where a lot of the public had scrutiny of him because they, they felt like the, the poor class was actually being brought above their natural station in life. They were being overeducated, uh, and instead they were supposed to stay uneducated and kind of stay in their place. George Mueller established 117 schools, which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children before it was all said and done, many of them being orphans. Um, <laughs> at age 70, did you hear that? At age 70? George thought it would be a good idea to begin a 17-year period of missionary travel. <laughs> uh, he traveled over 200,000 miles pre-aviation. That's, like, insane. Like, at 70, like between 70 and 87, just traveling all over the place. He, here's why this guy was amazing. He, um, he preached in English, French, and German. Just a beast for the kingdom of God. Uh, incredible life poured out. Here's what George is famous for saying. It's actually become a staple for our, our staff team uh, in our church up in Bennington. He says, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state, and how my inner man may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it. Puritans, uh, way back when, were known, if you guys know about Puritans, they were known, um, kind of a movement back when, for being very disciplined, very devout, very serious. A, a journalist once described Puritans um, like this. <laughs> Puritanism. The haunting fear that someone 
somewhere may be happy. (laughs) Uh, Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote this, and he echoes many sentiments of the Puritans that will surprise you. He says, Ah, friends, if you would but in good earnest set upon reading of the Holy Scriptures, you may find in them them, so many happinesses as cannot be numbered, so great happinesses as cannot be measured, so copious of happinesses as cannot be defined, and such precious happinesses as cannot be valued. And if all that won't draw you to read the Holy Scriptures conscientiously and frequently, I know not what will. Uh, any of you heard the little story called My Heart, Christ's Home? Anybody familiar with that? I'm going to steal an excerpt from that. This is something that um, I think Jake and I, back in the day, we probably would have walked some, some students through this. My Heart, Christ's Home. So, um, in Ephesians chapter 3, the very text that we read last night, if you remember me reading it, it, it was about Paul's prayer that Christ would dwell in your heart, right? And he would, he would quite literally make his home there. This is the good news of the Christian life. Jesus says that he and the Father and the Spirit, one God, will make his home in you. Uh, this is amazing imagery if you think about it. It's not just this power that you possess. It's a person who is becoming very familiar and comfortable with you, your heart and your soul. Here's uh, the story that the author of My Heart, Christ's Home tells. He tells of a person who um, has a, a heart that looks like a house, and in the heart are many rooms. And when a person places their faith in Jesus, Jesus comes into that house and begins to walk around the home. He begins to kind of get a tour of the house with the person who has invited him in. And the person shows him the study. This is the library. This is the information center of the house. It's what you take in. It's what you read. It's what you consume. It's what occupies the imagination and the thoughts and the 50% of the day wandering thoughts of our mind. Jesus steps in and he begins to toss out what isn't helpful, what isn't pure, good, true. He begins to line the shelves with precious scripture. He begins to line the walls with images and pictures of his compassion and his authority and his cross and his resurrection and his promises. He begins to fill that study with his vision for your life, which is way better than words could ever be. Amen. Then they make their way to the dining room. And in the dining room is the room of appetites and desires. Imagine being that person that's hosting Jesus. And as you serve up the things that you're chasing and dreaming about, Jesus looks at you and he says, Brother, sister, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies, pursue the will of God. I am the bread of life. I am the well that never runs dry. Eat of me, drink of me. If you want happiness, feast on all that I am, all that I've done, all that I'm doing. I want to change your appetites and desires, and I want to align them with my people. Jesus, let me walk you into my living room. 
A living room is a comfortable room with a fireplace and a perfect atmosphere for conversation. Uh, many of you, you know, you have an apartment, a dorm, you live in a house. There is kind of that space where if anybody comes over, that's just where you're going to land. Maybe you're at the kitchen table, you know, you're, you're in the living room, you're playing video games, wh- whatever it looks like. There's that spot where, like, conversation and late nights are going to happen. Jesus says, let's come here often. Um, it's secluded. It's away from the noise of life. We can talk. I can unfold to you the wonder of God's truth in the Bible. I'll show you the love and the grace that I have for you. These will be the best times. Let's meet here every morning early. Let's start the day together like this. But over time, under the pressure of responsibilities, work, class, social life, family obligations, your activities, competition, you name it. The time is shortened and shortened, and then it becomes absent. The writer then reflects on one morning rushing out of the home, passing that living room, and the door is creaked open. And looking in, he saw a fire stoked in the fireplace, and Jesus sitting there. Downcast, he walks in and he says, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I treasure your fellowship. I enjoy you. Even if you can't keep this time for your own sake, do it for mine. I want to be your truest Will we take Jesus up on that offer? Will we not miss the pages for the person? Will we understand that, yes, it's hard work, it's a lot of pages, but if we would give ourselves to it, it's like any other discipline. It will bear fruit in due time. It will change your life. The Word of God has been the thing that has gotten me through so many seasons and chapters in life. I cannot begin to even list all the moments where I've been in a valley, in conflict with my wife. There's been a staff team. There's been a friendship that feels off, and there's been offense. Um, There's been health issues. There's been trying to learn to to parent and uh, exercising patience there. There, There's been uh, stuff with extended family. I've been in seasons where I've, I've had homework due, a test coming up, a paper to write. Um, I've had to show up to work. I didn't want to. I mean, I can go on and on and on where I said it last night. You are one quiet time away from sitting in that room with God, asking for a fresh stirring and a fresh filling of his spirit to enlighten and open the eyes of your heart to see his word for everything that Psalm 119 says that it is. And it will change your day. Y'all been there. Y'all started your morning in the word of God. You've had a good quiet time and you've been the saint for the rest of the day. They're like impenetrable to discouragement. And then you started your day way more than that with busyness, frustration, stress, anxiety, despair. And whatever the day throws on top of that, You do not respond well to it. (laughs) God wants more for you. He wants a different for you. And so what I want to close with this morning 
is I want to close with a habit, a means of grace in my life that has changed much of my walk with God. It has changed me and my co-pastor, Roy. It's changed our staff team. It's changing our city groups. Uh, It's changing our huddles that we have at our church. Um, It's called praying the scriptures. Has anybody ever practiced praying the scriptures before? Okay, a few people in the room. Yes, I love this because this is an amazing, amazing tool. Remember, there is no tool or habit that apart from surrender will make any change in our life. We try to do it in our own power. We try to do it just to say we did it. It will not produce fruit. But let me just tell you about this. When you're praying the scriptures, what you are doing is you are taking God's word, everything that he's revealing to you, all the hope, all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the truth that he is revealing to you, and you are praying it back to him. So if you have a, a, a pen, pencil, something to write this down, if you've got a note on your phone, I want to just introduce this to you. Step number one, anytime you open your Bible, I actually learned this, no joke, from one of your pastors, Jared, who was a disciple maker of mine. Um, open your Bible and practice this. Say, Lord, here I am. You know what kind of change that makes when you're reading the scriptures? Lord, here I am. Like, God, it's me and you right now. We're sitting in the living room. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to ask questions. I'm ready for you to change me. And then I want you to write down an acronym. You ever heard of the acronym TACOS? TACOS. T-A-C-O-S. Super spiritual. A lot of spiritual things in tacos. Um, T stands for Thanksgiving. I want you to write down Thanksgiving, and I want you to write down in quotes this. Father, thank you for dot, dot, dot. The A stands for adoration. In quotes put, God, I love you because dot, dot, dot. The C, am I going at an okay pace? Y'all keeping up? Slow down a little bit? Okay. The C stands for confession. In quotes, I'm just messing. I'm messing. Confession. That's C-O-N. I'm just. In quotes, Father, please forgive me for. Dot, dot, dot. Some of you are like, dude, just say ellipsis. My goodness. Um, okay, Father. Please forgive me for. The O stands for others. In quotes, Father, I pray for. And in brackets, put name. Pray for people by name. Think of real individual people and intercede for them. It's one of the best, most joyful habits that you could have that your prayer life could actually bring internal and external change to somebody else's life because God's done it. Finds his ear. Father, I pray for in name. And then last, self. In quotes, Father, please help me. The reason that many of these begin with Father is because that's how Jesus teaches us to pray. 
that we would know God as Father, that we would address him as Father, that our prayer life would be informed by the fact that we are his children. He is not some distant deity. His love as that of a good Father overflows from the Trinity before we ever existed into his creation. Did y'all know that God's love, his joy preceded us? It preceded all of creation. It was manifest in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God doesn't need us to exercise love. It's his gracious choice to create us and pour his love out on us, into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So, let me give you an example. Take uh, Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to look that up. Ephesians chapter 1, in your Bible, or on your phone. It's the last thing we'll talk about. Ephesians chapter 1, which is what precedes everything that we talked about last night, right? That prayer for spiritual strength and and the filling of the the Holy Spirit. Paul begins this letter. This is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture because um, it just, like, is a hammer that just pounds with good news. (laughs) Like, this is everything that's been afforded to you in Christ. This is what Jesus bought for you. This is who you are in him. This is just like a I'm just going to scratch the surface on every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms that is yours in Jesus by faith. Like so much grace, like blessed, double blessed, triple blessed, quadruple blessed. You've been blessed. Not only that, you were pre-blessed, y'all. Like God chose you before the foundation of the world. You've been pre-blessed by God, okay? Like the, the chicken at Chick-fil-A. Am I right? So, so um, I want you to imagine just just... In a, in a group of people or by yourself, it can be exercised either way. I want you to imagine speaking out loud like two, three verses of scripture and then stopping. Taking in those verses and then looking at this tacos paradigm and saying, God, what can I thank you for here? What can I adore you for? What can I confess to you? This is not been something I've believed? This has not been a way that I have lived? Uh, How can I intercede for others who maybe this truth in their life they could believe more and benefit from? And God, how can I pray for myself? I just need help. I need a filling of your spirit. I need to see more that this is true. Does that make sense? Okay. Then read a couple more. And do it again. Then read a few more. And do it again. This has been such a catalyst for joy and happiness in God in my life. It makes Bible reading and prayer super interactive with God. And one of the best ways to do it is to hear the cries of your peers' hearts as you do it together. So I would love to encourage you, whether it's this weekend, going on from here, like just pray the scriptures together and see what God does, okay? Okay, let's pray together right now.